In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. I'm Emily Purcell, your host today, filling in for April Stearns. Over the last few episodes, my colleague Monica Haro and I have been filling in for April here on the podcast while she takes time to recoup from COVID. She will be back soon, but today it's my pleasure to fill in. I live in Toronto and I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 27. I first picked up wildfire when I was fresh out of my last surgery and not sure how to move forward. The stories within were examples of others just like me, trying to put the pieces back together after grueling cancer treatments. As I flipped through the pages, I had a physical representation of how I was feeling and what I was struggling with. I'm forever grateful for finding wildfire when I needed it the most. That was almost five years ago. I've now come full circle and I'm part of the small but mighty wildfire team. When I joined about a year ago, one of the first ideas April and I had was to publish a whole issue with Canadian writers and showcase my beautiful yet flawed country. Beautiful and flawed, just like all of us. Now that issue is a reality. We launched the first ever Canada's Young Survivors issue into the world in April 2022. Within the issue, we had stories that were not unlike your typical wildfire. All our writers were diagnosed young with breast cancer. Some were diagnosed early stage, and some were diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC. Some of our writers in that issue were mothers parenting with cancer. Some were looking for answers. All of the writers, myself included, were dealing with the aftermath of diagnosis. If you're listening today from somewhere other than Canada, know that many of the struggles of being diagnosed with breast cancer young are universal. My personal hope with this issue of wildfire is to introduce the world to my fellow Canadian survivors and thrivers, to showcase their perspectives in order to dissolve borders and bring us even more together in the breast cancer community. It is my privilege today to be joined by one of the writers from the Canada Issue. My guest today is Claire Lee. Claire was born and raised in Vancouver and has called Montreal home since 2005. She is a sustainable procurement professional working in the aviation industry. She is also a passionate human rights, DEI, and disability advocate. DEI is the Center for Diversity and Inclusion here in Canada. Claire was diagnosed with breast cancer the first time in 2018. She was diagnosed a second time with metastatic breast cancer in 2021. Claire told us she believes that in order to make meaningful change, you must seek out or create opportunities for learning. She says, 
cancer gave her the ability to pause and hone her powers of introspection to affirm her goal to affect change in the community by committing to lift others up and helping them grow. Currently living her best life with the help of exercise, targeted therapy treatment, and healthy doses of laughter, Claire has been patiently awaiting many surgeries between cancer treatments and hospital delays to help her adventure through life on her own terms. Welcome to the burn, Claire. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Claire, you're reading a piece you wrote for our 2022 Canada issue, as I said. The piece you wrote is called My Inner Voice. After you read, we'll chat. Sounds great. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Claire, I'll let you take it away. Thank you so much, Emily. My inner voice. The only thing more difficult than the unhealthy relationships in my life was the unhealthiest one that existed inside my head. I could never pinpoint exactly when it started, but for as long as I remembered, my inner voice never had my back. It never cheered me on, it never helped me feel better, and it never comforted me when I needed it most. Spending time on and off in therapy sessions when I could afford them, I ended up making do with who I was and picked up tricks to get by, creating routines, finding minimal stability in my life. My inner voice never nurtured me. However, it did teach me to persevere and run towards challenges in the face of adversity. It always reminded me that there was no one else in my life that would get me from point A to B. On November 1st, 2018, while in a meeting at work, I walked into the hallway and casually picked up the call from my doctor who confirmed my suspicious lump was indeed cancer. This open cubicle floor plan is not conducive for these kinds of calls. As my body froze, my eyes desperately searched for a hiding place and any words he said after cancer did not register. In this moment, I felt my entire being sever into two. My mind desperately needed to hold things together in front of my colleagues, and my physical body was sobbing uncontrollably while my hands were grasping at my own shoulders, trying to self-hug my fears away. My colleagues stood by stunned. I lived a relatively open life, and almost my entire life was intertwined with the medical system because I lived with invisible autoimmune conditions, but I had said nothing about cancer. For years, my colleagues watched my condition move from invisible to visible as my mobility slipped away. They stood by me when I fought openly for my independence by way of a hip replacement surgery that gave me my first new lease on life. The operation on November 1st, 2016 took place two years to the day prior to having breast cancer diagnosed. Breast cancer was the topic of every rabbit hole I fell into for months before diagnosis, and for a year after. I needed to know everything I could know about it, and I needed to know what it meant for me with all my other medical issues. I needed to process the information I was receiving faster. I needed to ask questions, and I needed to do this right. But it wasn't right. Every bit of information I received left me stunned, and I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know what I wanted to know. All I knew was that I didn't know enough, and I didn't know how to ask about what I didn't know. I also knew that I was different. But like every other patient out there with breast cancer, we are all different. We all arrived at this moment, and while sharing breast cancer, our ethnicities, our medical backgrounds, our lifestyles, we were all different. 
While we are special, we are also not special, and having autoimmune diseases did not make me special, but I needed to be heard, I needed to be seen, and I needed to know that whatever I chose, that I made the considerations for me and my lifestyle and my situation. I also needed a different relationship with my inner voice. My inner voice constantly challenged my own well-being and cast self-doubt, and in a lot of real face-to-face situations, I ended up not standing up for me. Throughout my treatment, I courageously changed doctors twice, not because they were terrible and incompetent. I walked away from them because in my gut, I did not and could not foresee a partnership in planning my treatment comfortably. I did not feel like they cared about my specific concerns, and I did not feel heard. I'd never contested doctors before. I never knew that I could stand up for myself in such a way, and while it was the right thing to do, it left me feeling uncertain, guilty, and with a sense of dread. Both doctors told me that they were the best. Were they? And did I just lose access to the best because of a gut feeling? I've been navigating the medical system on my own for most of my life. Looking back on my experiences prior to this, I never advocated for myself simply because I didn't know I could or how. My family passed on to me what they understood about the medical system. We don't question their advice. We follow their directives. They know what's best for you. My inner voice perpetuated this. You are not a doctor. You did not study medicine. Who do you think you are to question them? You're not comfortable because you are you. I never wondered if this was right or wrong, the way a doctor spoke to me. If someone was rude to me, it was always passed as poor bedside manner, and it never occurred to me that I should be respected. I never thought about why I was treated poorly before. I assumed that was just the way it was, and it was through these experiences that I found better fits and doctors that were kind to me. The long version of my cancer story brought about many twists and turns, including some unlucky situations, such as an OR E. coli infection from the bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction, resulting in an explant of my implant, then a mere two years later, the remaining implant rupturing, and the recurrence in the form of a lesion in my liver. The short version involves survival. Cancer creates two paths, simplified into either surviving and living, or not surviving and dying. Choosing to try and survive by following a treatment plan that was laid out for me while mentally battering myself is not actually living. It wasn't that I didn't know how to be kind. My friends and family would tell you that while I was stubborn at times, that my heart was always in the right place. But in my darkest moments in my head, I needed to escape and talk to someone else because I couldn't even handle my own inner monologue. Was this truly living? It dawned on me that surviving cancer was one thing, but that my inner voice was slowly drowning my spirit and holding me back from inner peace. I realized that if I was going to go through chemotherapy, repeated surgeries, seven since my bilateral mastectomy, radiation and targeted therapy, not to mention future treatments from metastatic breast cancer, I can only survive this with a healthy internal relationship with me. I cannot live without my inner voice. It's imperative that it must be helpful instead of hurtful. My strength today isn't just from surviving breast cancer, though. It's through the difficult work of self-advocacy and recognition of my own value. It is asking myself honestly, after all of this, do I want to continue cutting myself down when all I need is to be lifted? It is about being completely self-aware that I have all the capacity and capability to be kind to others, that it is time to do this work to reflect this inward. 
While I'm still living out my cancer story today, I believe that it is by living through all the ups and downs of cancer, finding a solid foundation in friends and family, and the coping tools that are provided to cancer patients in Canada, such as therapy, that I can allow myself some space and time to be able to challenge and change my inner voice. Today, it has almost been a year since I last heard my inner voice be unkind to me. Most nights before bed, I hear myself celebrating that I made it through another day and that tomorrow is another opportunity to truly live. That was beautiful, Claire. Thank you. Thank you so much for reading your story. We are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Claire and I will catch up. I was diagnosed at 43 and had no idea what was going on. I was introduced to Wildfire through a free writing workshop and was amazed at the community coming together and how wonderful April orchestrated that. I recently took a writing workshop and through her workshop, three years after my cancer diagnosis, I'm finally processing some of the feelings that I've had and I'm starting to feel more and more whole and healed. Welcome back. Thank you so much for the Wildfire Love, Jessica. All right, Claire, thank you again for your powerful writing and for reading your piece with us today. Let's dive in. One thing I love so much about your piece is how you share your inner voice and how you've learned to trust it, to lean on it. Can you share a bit about that and what it looks like for you on a day-to-day basis? So I guess on a day-to-day basis lately, a lot of things have happened and changed, um, surprisingly. Even though I am going through metastatic cancer, uh, I recently got a promotion at work and I'm embarking on new things in life. And I found that overall it's just having, just having my own inner voice um, kind of support and lift me up has really started creating this change. I don't really think about You know, I obviously think about a lot of like, oh, what if I'm not doing something right? Or what if this is not happening? Or, you know, all of these things. But then I also have like this part of my inner voice that's just saying, you know what, just go for it. Um, You've got this and you you've got through so much in life anyway. So this is just another thing you can do it and you don't have to know everything and you don't have to be afraid of failure. And that's really not something that I had for my entire life until now. I love that. I think, I mean, I personally can relate to having an awful inner voice and I am my own worst critic. So I I really can relate to your story. Um, And how did you get to the point where now it's been a year since you've, your inner voice has said something rude to you? Um. I think that I started looking into myself and I started looking into like all the times that, you know, unfortunately throughout cancer treatment in itself, you you get into this point of like, what am I doing? And also there's the pandemic as well, too. There's a lot of, you know, differences that happened during the pandemic that also changed your life. I don't think anybody, cancer or not cancer, kind of came out of the pandemic, especially here in Quebec, um, without a little bit of concern in their life of, of like weirdness, if you will. And it was really during the pandemic where I, I was like experiencing a lot of like fear of missing out. Um, I was experiencing like what am I, what am I going to do? How am I dealing with this new diagnosis and stuff like that? And there was a lot of like 
I heard my voice, you know, before that saying like, oh, well, you're not going to survive this. This is mm. awful. And I started looking at the conversations that I had with friends as well, too. Um, there was a lot of people that just were not coping with the pandemic super well. And they turned to me and they asked me like, you know, how, how do you cope with this? Like, how, how are you dealing with like the things that you're going through? And I started giving them advice, like trying to lift them up, trying to explain to them, like, you know, how things are. And I started realizing I'm being really nice to them. Not because, not because I was like fake or anything like that, but I was being really nice to them because I truly believe that they had it within them. So part of me asked myself, like, why can't I do that for myself? Mm-hmm. Why can I not? Um, why can I not be that same person for myself when I truly believed in everybody else? And then I started digging into my past. I started looking full circle at like all the things that I've lived through in my life and wondering if I managed to get through all of that stuff, why am I not like uplifting myself as well? So I kind of started talking to my therapist a little bit more about it. And, and we started exploring like, well, why aren't we doing that? Why don't you do that? Why are you so hard on yourself? And so those are some of the questions I started asking myself a little bit. I love that. You're so right that, you know, we are so quick to be kind to others and then we're not giving ourselves that same treatment. Yeah. So in your piece, you write about these generational ideas of how doctors are to be treated. Basically, doctors are gods. They know what's up. Don't question it. Having been handed these powerful storylines from generations past and then having realized you actually needed to advocate for yourself is a really big deal. Can you talk about going against the the family grain in this way? I imagine it might feel both empowering and lonely. It is. I would definitely say it's empowering and lonely. And on kind of like a side note is that my family actually still all live in the West Coast still. So I'm the only person here. Um, not that that's a great thing. However, it was a great thing to kind of empower myself. Like I was making the decisions on my own. Um, I've always actually made a lot of my medical decisions on my own. Um, but I started thinking a little bit more as to why am I listening to these things? Like, why am I not questioning things as I should? And I started talking to other people that have gone through a lot of um, medical journeys, if you will. And not to mention, I kind of already went through a medical journey prior to this. I had my uh, hip replacement surgery and I started questioning a lot of things for my hip replacement surgery where I was like, you know, people are telling me like, this is the normal duration of time that you should be off. This is the normal things that happen. Um, and it was the same with cancer. My, my first time through chemo and they were saying, you know, people don't work, people don't do this. And I decided to take a totally different approach. And I started thinking about like, well, this is what people typically don't do, but I'm also not a typical person. Mm So why don't I go into this and think about how I feel? And I started noticing that I didn't necessarily feel the same way as most people did. I didn't experience this uh, part, this aspect of cancer 
um, necessarily in what they call the average waste. So I started challenging that a little bit more. And once I started challenging what the norm was, I started realizing that I may not go through this in the exact same manner as what the average person may go through this. So why don't I kind of go with how I feel? Now, the problem with how I feel during my first like uh, thing with cancer was that I was also scared. I was scared to challenge my doctors. I was scared to tell them, well, this isn't working out for me or you know, you don't make me feel comfortable. It's very difficult to say that when part of me is thinking like, these are the doctors that also are going to play a big part of your treatment. What if I offend them? What if I, and, and part of me was just like, this isn't, um, this isn't easy for me, but I had two amazing friends that came with me to most of my, um, oncology appointments. And I had, debriefs with them on a pretty regular basis. And they asked me, well, how do you feel? What do you want to do? And my first typical response has always been like, I have no idea what I want to do. But there was something nagging in my head saying, this isn't great. This isn't making you feel right. So I I took the first step in, I never confronted my doctors per se, but I went to my pivot nurse and I said, I don't feel comfortable. Is that okay? And I really turned to her and, and I, I seek a little bit of guidance. And I had also had other people around me going through their cancer experiences. And they were saying, you know, if it doesn't feel right, try and change that. So it was scary. I can definitely tell you it was super scary, but I did it. And, and that's a little bit of like how, I don't know. I I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but once you do, once you once you turn away one doctor, then (laughs) if it doesn't feel right the next time, it got a little bit easier. So um, there was probably two two doctors that I ultimately decided that this isn't the right fit for me, and in both cases, it worked out for me that I found doctors that were definitely the right fit for me, and that's who I still kind of go in and see like um my follow-ups with today and and their everything about our appointments today in terms of follow-ups and whatnot remind me that I am in a better fit than I was with my original doctors that is so great to hear and it's so important that you feel comfortable with your team it is so hard growing up and feeling like doctors are on a pedestal and you know, who am I to question them? But, you know, you followed your gut and, and now you trust your team. And that's so important. Yeah. And on top of like trusting your team and doctors, it's also like telling your doctors how you actually really feel on the medication. So uh, I'm currently on a targeted therapy now. And I remember the first time around, I was thinking to myself, as I went through the first uh, month of treatment, I was like, oh my gosh, this is making me really tired. I can't do the things I want to do. I felt both exhausted and fatigued, but I couldn't sleep at the same time. And part of me just thought, well, this might just be life from now on. And I just thought, oh, this isn't great. And because I was comfortable with my doctor, I was able to tell him, you know what? I don't think that this treatment is really super working out for me. Like, is there anything that being 
be done? And he's like, yeah, we'll just adjust it. And I was like, oh, this is that easy. <laughs> and, and, and we did, and we adjusted the dosage. And now, you know, things are not necessarily always going to be perfect, but now it's mm-hmm. at a dosage that it's manageable. And I can honestly tell you that if I didn't change my doctor, I don't know that I would have been able to voice so freely that things aren't, you know, can I get adjustments? Can, can I make something else work for me? Can we look for another solution? So that part's super important too. Yeah, for sure. That's so, so great that you are able to advocate for yourself. I mean, you, you speak about it in your story about, you know, how do you want to live? And that's huge dealing with these side effects from medication you have to take, but if you can make it a little bit better, that's so important. So going from one chronic condition to another and having lived with one invisible illness and then getting an MBC recurrence, what would you like the world to understand about the invisible illness side of living with stage four breast cancer? Oh, I guess that, well, yes. (laughs) So I actually have multiple uh, invisible autoimmune diseases. So um, and they started at a really young age. So I didn't really know any different from that aspect. Um, to getting metastatic cancer, I mean, you know, I think it's shocking for a lot of people to, I think that maybe in general, like if you don't know anybody or you haven't, um, if you don't know any real tangible people who are living with metastatic cancer, it can look very, very different from person to person. Um, One of the biggest things that I know that people can't see me in this podcast, but um, one of the biggest differences, a lot of people are really surprised by how much hair I have. (laughs) And, you know, they're, they're expecting somebody that is maybe a little less active or um, somebody that, you know, and it, it's the same with my invisible autoimmune conditions is that I don't look sick in their minds. And I think that that's a stereotype that's out there that, you know, if you have cancer or if you have um, long term chronic illness, that somehow you're supposed to look a certain way. And I think that that is one mm-hmm. of the, the biggest things that is different. A lot of people also don't expect me to work. Uh, I work full time and and I'm doing a lot of big things at my work that I'm really happy about. And I'm trying to do this as best as I can. And I also, through the writing workshops I attended with uh, April, I've been able to meet a lot of other people that are also doing amazing things. Now, this isn't the norm for every single person. So I think that what's important that everybody needs to kind of like take in is that Although we all have breast cancer, or if we have a long-term illness other than breast cancer, how that looks is always going to be different from person to person. It's not like a one-size-fits-all situation. So it's good to be able to listen to ourselves, but it's also be able to recognize that um, metastatic cancer does not look the same in every single person out there. Mm, So true. You just mentioned the wildfire writing workshops. And um, I quickly just want to know what role writing plays in your survivorship today. Oh, so one of the big, uh, how I kind of got into April's first workshop, it was shortly after diagnosis of my uh, recurrence. And I came to this moment of like, 
oh shoot i you know first i have cancer again and i don't know what i think about this but second is that um when i had cancer the first time round i had a very big community of like friends and colleagues etc everybody was pulling for me to get better and when i you know beat cancer it was like this big celebratory thing and everybody was so happy so relieved and and then the pandemic hit and everybody's like oh thank goodness you didn't get cancer during the pandemic because um we don't know how we could have supported you in the same manner and then i was sort of like okay you're that's true like i never thought about that 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 is a totally different element so when i got uh diagnosed again with cancer it was shortly after they i had a total hysterectomy and they removed a 21 centimeter tumor from my lower abdomen that was in 2020 um that everybody was like relieved where we don't have to go through this and then about 6 months after that there i got the recurrence diagnosis and i didn't know how to tell my friends or family that this was happening because they were so happy that things were finally on their way. So I kind of started looking online and I saw the Wildfire magazine and I think I actually saw your profile or something about you Emily because it was like in Canada and I was like okay, I can I can kind of roll with this and I think there was a a free workshop on metastatic cancer and I think it was about maybe a month after I just got diagnosed and I was like, maybe I can write something. And during that workshop, I, I didn't know what to do. And I never tried a writing workshop before, but I started realizing that that was really, even though I didn't actually write about my cancer at that point, um, I wrote a little bit about my great grandmother actually, and her strength and her resilience. And I just knew that writing made me feel better. So that led me to, uh, signing up for for one of April's like full fuller, I think it's like six weeks workshop. Yeah, and I started meeting people, and some of the people in the writing workshop also had MBC, and I just started looking around in awe of like how great they sound, how like determined they were, and you know, week after week, I kept trying to write, and at that time, I was like. I'm not sure that I'm a great writer, but I am writing and I am feeling my feelings. And there's this great support network of, of my new friends. And really from that first workshop, I, I met a, well, everybody was really great, but I actually formed um, some friendships outside of that workshop and they kind of helped me through things on a pretty daily basis. And that was my first workshop. And then I felt comfortable enough after writing enough through those six weeks to actually tell my friends and family and actually tell everybody like, actually, this is what's happening with me now. And it took a very long time to get there. And I wasn't sure that I was going to get there, but I did. And, um, it's being able to explain it, but also just being comfortable because I can tell you that for even throughout the entire writing workshop, I didn't know if I was a hundred percent comfortable with being, Rediagnosed or not, so that was yeah. that was really good. Um, leading up to once the workshop finished, we went through a few months of not being in the workshop, and I kind of missed writing because I tried writing on my own a little bit more. And then I had the graciousness 
um, I don't know if I could share this part with you, but uh, somebody in, I'm guessing my friend network or my community of people that support me, um, they wanted me to continue writing. So they donated uh, another writing workshop so that I can continue writing. And that's really that's really what we just came off of. So we, I just did another six weeks with April, met a, more people. And those people are now part of my, my, what I call my cancer land, <laughs> because they really just their insights and what they're living through. It makes me feel less lonely and it makes me feel uh, really supported, but also everything that I write and share gets really well received and it resonates with everybody. And it allows me to, to kind of work out my feelings with a bunch of people that know exactly what mm-hmm. I might be feeling or close to it. Mm-hmm. So that's really the beauty and specialness of, of being able to, to write and, and share that, those, those stories with people. I love that. What a fantastic gift that a friend of yours gave you. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much, Claire, for sharing your story with us and having a conversation with me. Today's writer and guest was Claire Lee. Her piece was called My Inner Voice from the April-May 2022 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Canada's Young Survivors. Claire, where can people find you or learn more about you online? You can find me on Instagram. Uh, My handle is at Miss Claire Lee. Thank you so much. I'm Emily Purcell, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production. Our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode. To find our now 37 issues in the Wildfire Archives, and to take a writing workshop with April Stearns. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. Finally, here's today's writing prompt. Claire and I discussed a lesson she learned from watching her family, which was to hold doctors up on a pedestal of blind faith. But for her own survivorship, Claire had to listen to her inner voice and advocate for herself. That felt more right for her. I'm curious what your family taught you. Today's prompt is, what complicated truth did you learn from your parents' relationship? Before she got COVID, April wrote the following in response to this prompt. The truth that my parents' relationship taught me was some things can't be fixed. They can only be carried. My mom had a personality disorder that caused her to be violent. My dad, on the other hand, was extremely mild-mannered and codependent. My mom died first of suicide in 2006. At her funeral, a lot of people I'd never seen before stood up and said what a great mom she was. I had no idea who the person they were talking about was. The woman I knew my mom to be was angry, jealous, and abusive. I remember sitting in the front row of the church that day, feeling more invisible than ever. Seven years later, my dad passed away. In those seven years, I started to find my voice and become visible. And I watched my dad also become more visible than he'd been in 30 years. 
my brothers and I buried our parents' ashes together in a family plot in Tennessee on a freezing cold November day. At the memorial service, two room full of great aunts, cousins, family friends, and more, I told the real story of my parents' relationship. For many there, it was the first time hearing that my mom had lived with a mental illness. I shared the good and the complicated. Some things can't be fixed. They can only be carried. So again, the prompt is, what complicated truth did you learn from your parents' relationship? Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.